listening to Where the World Comes to Talk. During the war, Jefferson Davis was a device of an unpopular figure. But after the war, he became so popular, the South thought him so nice, that when he died, they buried him twice. We'll find out how that happened when we return with our guest Don Collins, author of Death and Resurrection of Jefferson Davis, on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich with my guest today, Donald E. Collins, author of The Death and Resurrection of Jefferson Davis. Don, we were talking in our first section there about the post-war career of Jeff Davis and notably his uh, farewell tour of the South. What year was that tour, do you recall? Uh, it was 18, uh, the tour was in 1886, and I tack on uh, a visit to Macon in 1887 because I just see it as a, as a continuation of the Southern tour. Um, uh, he goes back, uh, Davis goes back home after the tour, and, and then he is invited to Macon, Georgia, uh, for a Confederate reunion. And uh, the reaction is, uh, is so similar to the uh, 1886 tour that I lumped them together. I thought it was it was clever. You mentioned that uh, Verena Davis got her husband to agree to make this tour by playing on his affections for his daughters. That the tell, having the the uh, committee that invites Davis say, if you you want your daughters to know how popular you are uh, around the South, so so you have to go on this tour so they can be seen. And I know that would work with me. I have two young daughters, and and they can get anything they want out of me pretty much. 
and and it's always a good technique uh, to to work work through the most vulnerable spot. So he goes on this tour, Davis does, and after being pretty nearly a pariah at the end of the Civil War, now he, he's greeted with huge crowds everywhere he goes. It seems like a remarkable development. Yes, I, I describe it as being similar to the reception of Elvis Presley uh, by the, the teenagers uh, back when he was uh, when Presley was popular. Uh, it's hard to imagine just just how m- much people worshipped Davis at this time, and, and how overwhelmingly, uh, as as his train moved through the South. First of all, newspaper correspondents, the best correspondents from the northern newspapers and southern newspapers, rode the train and wrote voluminous, uh, great detailed articles about his trip. And uh, and as the train went through the night at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, there would be little crowds there. They'd be firing salutes over the tracks. There'd be stand- people standing by the tracks. They'd be waving at the train. And he gets to Montgomery, and, and, and there's, there's 15,000 people who had been standing in the rain and mud for hours waiting for the train to arrive. Uh, cannons are a salute. Uh, and every place he went, what you got was schools closing, businesses closing, it turned into a holiday. Uh, men marching, cannons firing, and, and all the trappings of a holiday. And as, as, as he went in his first stop in Montgomery, this shows you the, the feeling for the people. He stops at the hotel, um, and the, over the road they had put in, in lights, our hero. He goes into the hotel and goes upstairs, and women are throwing their arms around his neck. They've lost their composure. And they're throwing roses in his in, in in his path and he gets into his room and the whole room he has chairs bed everything else are covered with roses and on the bed is the uh, cover that had been used by lafayette which had been sent there specially for davis to use uh th- and, and this sort of thing continues on and uh, he never loses his popularity in, in his lifetime now, now he must his popularity is not just personal to him he must have been seen as a symbol of the Confederacy more than... Interestingly not. Uh, my contention is, is that Davis was not really thought of uh, in terms of president of the Confederacy until uh, oh, around 1900, um, because still, when I was reading things, because one of my ways of finding out how people felt about Davis was we didn't have opinion polls in those days, so I would go to the newspapers and I selected a number of newspapers from every city, uh, from every state in the North and South. And the key term was was a martyr, martyr and uh, hero of Buena Vista. They used those terms together. Hero, uh, in other words, an American, not Confederate, an American military hero, and the martyr who suffered for the South. Those are the those are the key things. Uh, President of the Confederacy was rarely mentioned. And to tell you the truth, during the Southern tour. Reconciliation between North and South was a key feature, key theme. Uh, General John Gordon, of, uh, who founded the United Confederate Veterans, was uh, was a reconciliationist, and uh, he uh, and so everything. For, for, uh, you saw very few Confederate flags. You saw lots of uh, lots of American flags. Uh, you would see uh, in Montgomery uh, pictures of a Confederate soldier shaking hands with a Union soldier. Uh, so reconciliation was a big feature. Go ahead. So this is not a, a nationalistic Confederate celebration at this point. No. Uh, even so, I'm, I'm struck by this. Imagining the reaction in the North, 
uh, just take as an analogy, let's say uh, 10 years from now, the uh, uh, Saddam Hussein decides to make a tour of Iraq uh, you know, in 2015 and is greeted everywhere with, with crowds and hailed as the, the, the guy who fought the war against Iran and they don't mention the, the U.S. involvement. Even so, even if he were being hailed for something before his war with, with our nation, I imagine that, that we in the United States would look askance at, at, at such a, a triumphal tour of Saddam Hussein uh, in 10 years. And that's How, how did the North look at, at Jefferson Davis getting all this, this good publicity? Um, by the time, uh, by 1886, uh, reconciliation had come uh, a good ways. Uh, because Northerners were visiting South, vacationing in Florida and the Southern states, and and romantic novels were being written about the South and plantations and things of this nature, and uh, Confederates and and uh, Union star were starting to have a planned joint reunions, and so there was uh, some good feelings. So what you had was a range of real hostility where people hated Davis. Like one man, uh, when they heard Davis died, made sure his flag was raised to half to full staff. Rather, so that just because he wasn't raised a half staff for Davis. This was a northern um, person, you're saying. Northern person, yes. yes. And um, the, and but then it went all the way through to a more moderate view. Some of them says, well, yes, we don't like Davis, but he was uh, he he was okay. But we we, we think that some of the, that he was wrong because he continued a war that uh, should have been stopped earlier when he knew that, that the South was going to be defeated. Um, some some papers compared him to a wife murderer. Uh, they, they used words like treason and so forth. But it ranged from mild to to violently hostile. And the other thing is is, is this, uh, and uh, you may be bringing it up, is the reaction of, of uh, African Americans to him. What was that? What was that like? Um, those who were closest to Davis, African Americans who were close to Davis, including former slaves of, of, of Jefferson Davis and of his brother Joseph, were very fond of President of Jefferson Davis. I mean, very fond of him. Some of them referred to him as, as their friend, as his, their friends. Um, but as you moved more distant away from Davis, and he only became the symbol of the Confederacy, uh, there was a very violent hostility to Davis. On the campus of uh, Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, a black university, uh, the students got out and, and sang, uh, hang Jeff Davis from a sour apple tree when he heard he died. Uh, in general, what uh, when I looked for that, the African-American newspapers, which very few are extant, uh, they tended to ignore him that, like he didn't, exi- he didn't exist. Interesting. So, so the, the reaction to Davis ranges then across across this range from, from popular to less popular, depending who's who's, who's reacting. As well Interestingly as enough, it was true in, among blacks and whites. Uh, there were blacks who loved Davis. There were blacks who hated Davis. There were whites who loved Davis. There were whites who hated Davis. Then this uh, this tour, eighteen eighty six, eighteen eighty seven, is shortly before his death. He, does it, did anything else significant happen in his life in the next year or two? Uh, I think the things that are, are, are that are most interesting to me is uh, his, Davis's view on on reconciliation and reunification of the country, because some historians have said that Davis was uh, hostile 
to uh, reconciliation is, is a hard line, uh, a hardcore or a diehard reconstruct, uh, you know, the opposed re- uh, reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, uh, Davis spoke in favor of reconciliation in Savannah in 1886. Uh, he his last speech uh, in uh, about less than a year uh, before he died was to a group of uh, a convention of uh, southern men uh, about six miles from his plantation, from his home in Beauvoir. And his key point was that they were going to live in the United States and they should reconcile and, and, you know, and, and live in a united country without hostility or bitterness or anything of this nature. So Davis, and then Davis did allow his daughter to become engaged to a uh, grandson of a northern uh, abolitionist. So Davis, contrary to what some historians say, Davis did believe he wouldn't he wouldn't admit wrong. Secession was right, states' rights were right, the Confederacy was right, but when the war is over with, you've got to li- you've got to live in the country the way it is. Now this, so Davis is himself personally willing to reconcile. Yes. But we'll see some evolution here. Uh, he dies in 1889, as you said earlier in our first right. uh, discussion, and is buried in New Orleans near where he died. Yes. But there's it now makes sense in the context of this this tumultuous tour in his popularity throughout the South. Everybody wants a piece of Jeff Davis, yes. and different cities are competing to have him buried permanently in their city. Yes. Who wins the competition? Uh, Virginia wins the competition. Uh, the most interesting uh, th- uh, thing of, of the competition was that Louisville, Kentucky, wanted his body. Really? And, and yes, and, and and he they they offered him the empty burial spot of Zachary Taylor, who was Jefferson Davis's former father-in-law and and military commander, because because uh, they had the plot had been there for Zachary Taylor. That when Taylor, before he died, he decided that he would rather be buried uh, on his own, on his own land, and so the uh, so the Zachary Taylor lot was empty, and so uh, Louisville, Kentucky, made promises. You know, you're going to be buried here. We're going to have a big, uh, you know, re, uh, big uh, you know, ceremonies, statue, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, the the competition for uh, between cities was uh, intense and very interesting. You, you probably heard that uh, reference to Kentucky as the, the posthumous member of the Confederacy, right? Uh, the state that never seceded, but here they are trying to get Jefferson Davis buried there. That's that is really well, remarkable. Well, uh, the uh, I kept trying to think of who it was. Buckner, Simon Bolivar Buckner, became the governor of Kentucky later on. So, so Kentucky moves further and further south after the war ends. Yes, and and uh, Maryland, as as does Maryland. Yes, culturally, yes. Uh, both yes. of them. So. Davis, uh, Louisville doesn't win, though. Richmond ends up winning this competition. Yes. And in 1893, the decision is made to move Davis's remains from New Orleans to Richmond. So now he gets to make another tour of the South. And, yes, and the reception is similar to uh, the reception he received when he was alive. He goes from city to city, or his, his remains go from city to city. The funeral train goes, and everywhere they... Green. He's laid in state in the capitals of most of the states through which they if, – if the if the train tracks uh, route went through a southern capital, he would be removed from the train and laid in state in the capitol building uh, for a number of hours while the, the people of the, that area could come by and, and walk past the coffin. Uh, 
and uh, and uh, he, he, they did this in uh, well, they started off in New Orleans when they first uh, re- disinterred him, and then uh, they did it again in Montgomery, and then they did it in Atlanta. They did it in Raleigh, North Carolina, which was off the beaten track, but uh, they made the mistake of uh, putting uh, adding Raleigh. And when 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 they they decided that like, they would didn't want to go to Raleigh, the governor wouldn't let them back out. <laughs> and then they uh, went on to uh, to um, Richmond, and he was laid in state in all of those cities. And there was large funeral processions. You know, you can, uh, former Confederate soldiers in the thousands uh, marching behind the the the, the uh, coffin. Um, it, it was and long lines, many tens of thousands of people walking by the coffin uh, in, in the Capitol buildings. Uh, the same reception everywhere. Is this reception? Does this feature more Confederate symbolism by this time? Do we see more flags, or is that still a little bit in the future? They still it still tends to be towards reconciliation. Um, the Confederate veterans are naturally always prominent in these things, and and the Confederate flags you tended to see were actually the original uh, battle flags of various reg- regimental flags that were carried by the uh, in battle, and they would be carried uh, in. Uh, they'd either be they they'd be carried into the uh, where he was laid in state and things of this nature, but it tended not to be that much in the way of uh, of. Confederate uh, ceremonies. Now that will be different, though, at the dedication to the Jefferson Davis Monument. Uh, that by that time it was uh, swinging more into uh, honoring the Confederacy itself. How did that monument come about? Um, the interesting thing about about this is that the the monument, and now is what we remember, but and the various cities had their competition. And it was Richmond that won, and Richmond and in Richmond, they formed the Jefferson Davis Monument Association, uh, which had uh, state legislative backing and the city of Richmond backing. And the interesting thing they call it a monument committee, but their real concern was getting Jefferson Davis's body, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to permit permanent burial, and monument was an afterthought. And uh, the uh, there were three groups involved in it: the 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 uh, su- the, su- the United Confederate Veterans, uh, the what they call the Southern Press Association, uh, and uh, those both of them had Jefferson Davis Monument co- uh, committees, and then the Jefferson Davis Monument Association, and they eventually coalesced into one. But somehow or other, these groups weren't good at raising money. Uh, they they had and the committee. Um, heck, they they uh, seldom met, to tell you the truth. Once they uh, got involved in, in planning a monument, and they they finally decided, okay, well we're we're going to build. When they, when they got together at first at the uh, meeting uh, reunion of Confederate veterans, uh, some of the Confederate veterans says uh, were really enthusiastic and say, let's spend a million dollars on the monument and let's build a monument so high the birds can't fly over it. Uh, but then uh, the reality set in, and, and economic depressions and so forth, uh, national depressions, made them realize they couldn't get the money. And uh, they finally decided, well, well, we will build the monument will be a temple, a large uh, 
a decorative temple with a statue of Davis inside. And uh, We're going to take a, a short break and find out what happens to this temple and who does raise the money for it. We'll find that out when we talk more with Don Collins on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 